This episode of Nerd Cave Retro is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Greetings, programs, for another episode of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And I'm Derek Diamond. Derek, it's been too long. <laughs> I know we gotta keep we gotta stop doing this thing where we just go months upon months yeah. without speaking to each other. <laughs> I can't take uh, it. I know. I we don't even really have any uh top of the show stuff because we put it all in the last episode. Because when you're hearing this. I will be in New Jersey, or actually I'll be on my way back from New Jersey, because we're recording this the Sunday before, because I'll be out of town at the, uh, I'll be at the Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival in uh, Asbury Park, New Jersey, uh, April 22nd. I'll be there with Mr. Brian O'Halloran, who's going to be emceeing the event, and uh, Monsters Anonymous is up for a lot of awards at the film festival, so hopefully I'll be bringing home some uh, some trophies. That's a fantastic name for a festival, by the way. I know it's like the best one I've ever heard. <laughs> um, so I should be able to uh, to see Ming Chen, and uh, let's see who else is. Gonna, I think I know for a fact Ming Chen's going to be there. Uh, a couple of mm-hmm. the comic book uh, men guys are probably going to be there. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, if Mike Zapsik's going to be there. I'm hoping that um, Brian Johnson's going to be there too, and maybe Brian Quinn of the Impractical Jokers, because I'd love to meet those guys. I really like oh, telling Steve Dave. That's one of my favorite podcasts. If you get to meet all of them, I would be so jealous. Oh, and I'm that, definitely going to be. I love that show. I'm going to be streaming to uh, probably to, from to Twitch while I'm there uh, with Mr. Joey Image. So keep an eye on Twitch. I, I might do some periscoping too, maybe. I haven't decided yet. I'll figure it out once I get there. No, that that should be an exciting time for sure. So anything you want to talk about before we move into our news for this week? Um, no, I think I'm good. We, we've got some, you know, last week we had some good stories too, and it's pretty much the same this week. So yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to talking about this first story. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and move into the news for this week. If I can hit the right button. Is that the right button? That is the right button. (laughs) I'm going to let you have this one. Cool. This comes from Engadget.com. Square Enix gives Chrono Trigger the PC graphics update it needs. The tweaks bring the game visually back in line with the SNES version. This is kind of a follow-up on something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Square Enix came under fire back in February when it released the mobile version of Chrono Trigger on Steam and not the SNES version. Players, to say the least, were not happy, but now the publisher has made good with its promise to fix things by releasing a patch that better aligns the game with its original look. Character sprites and background graphics have been tweaked, fonts have been revised and updated, text boxes have been edited, and the order of the demo video and opening sequence has been adjusted, all in a bid to mimic the original Chrono Trigger. 
it's great that they did this. Yeah. But I'll say why why did they do the mobile version in the first place? I don't know. I just that that's that's one of those things just completely boggles my mind. I mean, it would have been just so easy to just do a straight port of the of the Super Nintendo game. I mean, is it yeah. that hard to do that or I, I think that was just a communication failure somewhere around the line. Somewhere down the line, somebody screwed up. Yeah. And you know, th- this is a game that I can't wait to play when I eventually get the chance to because every every list I read of like top 20 or top 100 greatest SNES games of all time, this is always in the top three. It's usually this, Zelda, and Mario World. Yeah, I started playing usually at the it. top three. I started playing it about a week or so ago, uh, and I I like it so far. I've only gotten about an hour into it. Uh, I got all the way through kind of the first, you know, kind of the first part of the game where you actually go through the. I guess it's like a time portal or something like that, or mm-hmm. you know, so where you go like a different dimension or something. And people who play the game know what I'm talking about. Like that's about as far as I got, and um, I I want to keep playing because it just it kind of it has that. Nin- super nintendo rpg magic to it like kind of it's got it feels a lot like you know the way i felt when i played legend of zelda like it's got that you know it's got that little bit of something extra to about it that little bit of magic yeah it's got that nintendo magic to it yeah and i've said this before but i think it definitely applies here to me no console got the rpg right more than the super nintendo so oh, there yeah. were so many good RPGs. It was great, and then and, you know this. I can't believe this one passed me by, but you know I can't wait to finally play it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I, I think we really should do a dual review of it. So let's give it some time. You know, maybe two or three months to let let's both kind of play through it and see if we can finish the game. I'd love to do a dual review of this. Absolutely. Maybe maybe for Absolutely. the hundredth episode. Maybe. 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 Uh, but coming up uh, right here from uh, VentureBeat.com, you can get some new... Whoa, stop playing, stop playing. Stupid. These stupid websites and their damn autoplay. Don't they realize yeah, nobody... Yeah, I, I can't stand those. Nobody likes autoplay. Just stop it. <laughs> really. Um, but you can get some new... Retro gaming art for your Twitter header, and I actually downloaded a couple of these because they're really awesome. Uh, they have yeah, some I'm doing from, that uh, right now actually. They have some from the 70s, 80s, or 80s part one and part two, the 90s part one and part two, and then the thousands and then the tens. Um, and I'm looking right now. I actually linked to the 90s one because I figured you would like this one the best, Derek. It's got a Sonic the Hedgehog background. Super Mario World, Secret of Monkey Island, Street Fighter 2, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, a Mega Man 7, Mortal Kombat, System Shock, uh, and Wolfenstein 3D. Uh, there's a GoldenEye one on here. Dude, these Twitter banners are so awesome. So right now go to uh, VentureBeat and or VentureBeat.com and just search for um, Twitter header, I guess. Yeah, Twitter headers uh, is the actual link, so... Um, I'm not going to give you the full link here, but, um, but just go to VentureBeat.com, look up Twitter headers, and these are awesome. Oh, the Zelda one is so awesome. I know, isn't it? <laughs> They're so great. Yeah, I, I've downloaded actually, like five of them already. Yeah, I downloaded about ten. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. 
Yeah, I uh, saw this, this on Twitter. I, 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 need to, I need to click off of this. Otherwise, yeah. I'm just going to be here all episode. Me too. I, as soon as I, <laughs> fa- I saw this uh, tweeted out on, uh, I think it was VentureBeat that tweeted it out. I saw this and I went to it. I just immediately just went through and just started saving all these Twitter banners. I was like, I can never use all these, but I'm going to keep them anyway. I mean, they're just cool to even have in general. I know. They just look awesome. Yeah. Oh, the Ninja Gaiden one's pretty cool, too. Oh, yeah, I got that one, too. <laughs> I, Anyone I you can point out, I pretty much have it already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, and our last news story for this week comes from NewYorkPost.com. World Video Game Hall of Fame announces 2018 finalists. Calling all gamers to help pick World Video Game Hall of Fame inductees. Twelve finalists were named Tuesday for the class of 2018, pitting Miss Pac-Man against John Madden Football. Also in the running, Asteroids, Call of Duty, Dance Dance Revolution, Final Fantasy VII, Half-Life, King's Quest, Metroid, Minecraft, Space War, and Tomb Raider. New this year, the Hall is inviting gamers to weigh in on inductees. Online balloting closes... Uh, April 4th, which is which has already oh, yeah. happened. Yeah, um, I actually like I, I've heard of this, but I never really put much thought into it. This does it say how many they can pick? I don't know. I yeah, I'm a little bit late posting this into the news because I actually had this in the, the pop culture palette, you know, news uh, doc. But we never mm-hmm. got around to it, so I finally just moved it over to Nerd Cave Retro. I was like, well, this is where it's supposed to go anyway. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm about a week late on this, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, let's see. The thousands of nominations were submitted from more than 100 countries. Uh, to be recognized, games must have proven their popularity over time and influenced other games or forms of entertainment. Um, but I don't know. It didn't really say how many you could vote for at the time. Yeah, I'm I'm reading through the whole thing and no, I'm not seeing anything. I mean, just, we'll we'll say for hypothetical purposes, if we were to pick like out of these choices, if we could pick say four, which ones would you pick? Oh man, uh, Metroid definitely. Um, yep. Miss Pac-Man, those are my top two right there. Why would Miss Pac-Man not be in there already? I know that's kind of weird. Well, Miss Miss Pac-Man kind of has a, a weird history because Miss Pac-Man was an illegal game at the time anyway because she was made by Midway and Namco owned the Pac-Man IP. So yeah. when they made Miss Pac-Man, it was actually such a good game that Namco came along and said, "And hey, we're going to buy it from you." <laughs> so they did. Yeah. And but Midway got to keep their name on it, which was weird. Uh, you, that would never happen today. Um, I, I would, I, I think Call of Duty is still, I don't know. I don't, the, the two, I'd say Metroid, Miss Pac-Man. Um, I was never a big Tomb Raider fan. Um, I know King's Quest, is, King's Quest is one of those Sierra games that we've always talked about in this month in video game history. They've got a long history of, you know, RPGs back in the 80s on PC. So that one probably belongs up there. And um, I do like Half-Life, though. Half-Life was a really good game made in 1998. Mm-hmm. But do you think that we should... Should there be a time limit before games can become eligible for the, the Hall of Fame? Because, like, Call of Duty came out in 2003. 
And that was mm-hmm. only 15 years ago. So does that count as, you know, sort of a Hall of Fame type of thing? I mean, you know, even, you know, uh, what was I just talking about? I was talking, uh, Half-Life. That came out in 98. So that's 20 years old at this point. But you look at things like, you know, the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and things like that. You know, the Music Hall of Fame, those have to be 25 years or older. Mm-hmm. But of course, music. I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Hall of Fame has been around a lot longer than you know video games. So I don't know if that. I don't know. It's kind of weird. There's, I mean, there's a lot to kind of unpack here as far as what should be eligible. Yeah, there's so many technicalities you have to think of with this kind of thing. I mean, I definitely think Metroid and Miss Pac-Man go in there for sure because those were early '80s and they're. You know, Miss Pac-Man is one of the most iconic arcade oh, yeah. games of all time, and Metroid is, you know, top five Nintendo property. If I had to pick other ones, I mean, I know Asteroids is popular, but I was, you know, I was never that into Asteroids, Me but I know neither. that it, it definitely has its history in the gaming culture. But I mean, if it was so like Space Invaders, yeah, but I just don't think Asteroids had the same kind of cultural you know, didn't affect things culturally as much as, like, you know, Space Invaders and things like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's tough. And again, you know, Tomb Raider came out in 96. Yeah. So it it's not that old. So, so yeah, there, there's... I, I think we can definitely say that Metroid and Miss Pac-Man are the shoe-ins. Yeah. But from there, it's just all subjective to what you look at as being a hall of fame. Yeah, I I think so too. And like, you know, just because we don't like something like, you know, neither of us are Tomb Raider fans doesn't mean it's, it wasn't culturally significant enough to be, you know, inducted into a video game hall of fame. I think it absolutely belongs there. I just think I'm just wondering, like, should there be some sort of, you know, yearly limit before it's eligible? Like, should it be a solid 20 years? Should it be 25 years? Like, should we just be looking at anything like pre-1990 like or what, you know? Yeah, it's it, it's so tough. It, it's like, you know, on the last episode when I was talking about movies, you know, they're so subjective because of the genres and you have your different tastes, different people and things like that. So it, it's just so tough to really pinpoint you know like a certain number certain you know whatever it may be yeah it's definitely a subjective thing but as far as metroid and miss pac-man those were the most culturally significant i think i 100 percent agree Uh, but let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history why is that not playing There it goes. Uh, Let's see. In April of 1993, Mortal Kombat 2 was released by Midway for the arcade. Uh, I think Mortal Kombat 2, to to this day, Mortal Kombat 2 is still my favorite Mortal Kombat. Yeah, it's really close between the first one and the second one. I haven't played the second one in a long, long, long time. Well, the second one is when Uh, they introduced Baraka, and Baraka is my favorite character to use in Mortal Kombat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Baraka's a beast. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, both games are extremely fun. Yeah, I'm reading here it was... It introduced... 
But also introduced Shao Kahn. I forgot about that. Oh, that's right. I forgot about him, too. He's awesome. Yeah, introduced uh, Katana, Melina, Kung Lao, uh, Noob Saibot, and Shao Kahn. Yeah, I know, because I remember the roster like doubled by the second game. So yeah. there was a lot more to choose from in the second one. Yeah, I- I'd love to go back and play Mortal Kombat 2, because like I said, I haven't played it in so long. Oh, no. It, it, but it was, uh, those games are so good. Oh, yeah, they are. The the, the, the early ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, as far as like the, the DC versus Mortal Kombat, I really like that game. You know, the, but I never played I, that one. I never played the, the newest, that wasn't Mortal Kombat 10 that just came out a few years ago. One that everybody was all up in arms about because it was so violent. And I'm like, it's freaking Mortal Kombat. It's supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was the one that came out for like Xbox 360 a few years yep. ago because mm-hmm. I was I was one of those people that you know totally geeked out I, I never got the collector's edition which came with like the an arcade attachment with a joystick and two buttons oh yeah which which was awesome I I, I regret that I never got it but <laughs> that that game was really good yeah it was a lot of fun and also in April of 1993, the seventh guest was released by Virgin Interactive, which is a game that you've reviewed in the past. Yes, I did. Sold over two million copies and was widely regarded as one of three killer apps that accelerated the sales of CD-ROM drives. Yeah, it's. I, I haven't played this game, but I, I remember. I remember you talking about it. You know, a while back when you reviewed it. Still, it still holds up to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another part here that says uh, Bill Gates called the seventh guest the new standard in interactive entertainment. So even he knew back then how good that game was. That's uh, that's pretty high praise. So do you think that uh, the, I always enjoyed point and click adventures? I still do. Like even when I went back to play seventh guest to review it, it still holds up. And I love playing puzzles and I love, you know, clicking and trying to you know, do di- do different things. Like, I want to go back and um, I actually want to review Maniac Mansion in the next couple of months for the NES. Uh, I'd like to get a, a PC version of it as well because I, I never got to play that back in the day. But you, you look back at the games like, you know, Myst and uh, uh, Ventures of Monkey Island, a lot of those Lucasfilm or LucasArts, or actually it was still Lucasfilm back then before it became LucasArts, were a lot of point-and-click mm-hmm. adventures. And it's kind of a genre that's kind of gone away the last... I'd say decade or two. Do you think it's about time to, you think people would still jump on a, a point and click type adventure, especially with the invented, you know, the, the invention of the smartphone and like iPads mm-hmm. that seemed like that would be the perfect type of game genre yes. to, to be on those platforms. I, I just don't understand why it hasn't made a comeback yet. If you were to bring it back, definitely do it as a mobile game for, your iPhone, Android, or iPad. Yeah, that's the that's I, as a console game. I don't think it would work, but as a as a smartphone app, I think it would be perfect. Yeah, because you got smartphones, you've got you know iPads and and tablets, and especially with Steam being such a huge thing that it is now with PC gaming, it is ripe. Like the time is ripe to come back with a good point and click adventure game. I think, especially. You know, with Sid Meier, the stuff that he's made in the past, if he came back with a good, like, point-and-click adventure game, I would be all over it in a second. I can't really think of too many, like, 
uh, point and click games that I've even played before. So I, I might have to go through and see if there's any that catches my eye. Well, go definitely go on Steam. You can find some of the old stuff. Like uh, I think you know, like Adventure of Monkey Island. I think that one's always pretty cheap. You can pick it up for like five, ten bucks. I think on Steam, uh, and go to good old games too, and get a lot of cool yeah. stuff from back then. So if and anybody like if you listen to that episode, I just did it back in October for uh, Halloween Horror Month. If you've never played like Seventh Guest and Mist and things like that. You owe it to yourself, especially if you have a Steam account and you have a good PC. Go get those. They're only like five. I think I paid seven bucks for the seventh guest, and it holds up like crazy. Fantastic. Uh, but moving on, in 1990, April of 1995, Mortal Kombat 3 was released by Midway for the arcade. I don't remember playing too much of Mortal Kombat 3 back then. Yeah, I actually don't think I ever played Mortal Kombat 3, from what I can remember. And the reason I played I, Mortal I, Kombat I have... 2 so much is because the restaurant I worked at had a Mortal Kombat machine. I worked at a pizzeria. We had a Miss, a Miss Pac-Man uh, tabletop uh, cocktail machine, and we had a, uh, a Mortal Kombat 2 machine in the back. Let's see, this game introduced uh, Cyrax, Nightwolf... Shiva and Stryker. I don't remember them at all. <laughs> Shiva was the really muscular, four-armed uh, oh, female. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. Yeah, this was... I, I may have played this game, but I, I really... I have no real memory of playing it. Like, I can distinctly remember playing yeah. one and two. I don't think I ever played three. Yeah, I don't... I don't remember ever playing it. If I if I did, I remember seeing it, but I don't remember ever playing it. And um, <clears throat> speaking of Goro, Goro had a uh, a little cameo in Ready Player One that I saw when mm-hmm. I watched it last week. So that was awesome. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, it's um, we may have talked about this before, but I really think Mortal Kombat would be a great Netflix series. I think it would too. And didn't we talk about this not too long? No, it was Street Fighter Two. Yeah, they're doing. Yeah, it was Street Fighter. Yeah. Because there, there was a Mortal Kombat web series that was made several years ago, which people should go check out. It was actually really good. Yeah. And that same guy who directed them was supposed to be doing a movie, but nothing really came of it. So, hmm. I, I think, I think the Netflix series. You know, I think that route would be the way to go. I still think the original Mortal Kombat movie still kind of weirdly holds up. The second one's a dumpster fire, but the first one's still <laughs> actually watchable. It's it's fun well, to watch. I mean, it's not you yeah, know, it's not Citizen Kane or anything, but it's good to watch on like a Saturday afternoon if you got nothing else better to do. Well, it's one of those movies that you also have to look at it for what it is. Yeah, exactly. It, to really enjoy it, I, I think of the same way as like because the. The Joel Schumacher Batman films get blasted. Yeah, Batman and Robin, rightfully so. But I, I enjoy Batman Forever. Like, I, there's parts of it that are so over the top. Like Jim Carrey as the yep. Riddler was so perfect. I love that movie. Actually, I actually like that movie way better than Batman Returns. Batman Returns is almost unwatchable to me at this point. It's too dark and weird. Well, I feel like this. This is my comparison to Batman and Batman Returns. 
with Batman, I felt like Tim Burton, he, he could put his own twist on it a little bit, yeah. but he had to do a lot of what the studio wanted. Exactly. And then they gave him the keys to do whatever <laughs> he wanted. And God, Tim Burton threw up all yeah. over Batman Returns. Like <laughs> it's, had, it's almost an unwatchable movie. For it's me. what I call Zack Snyderitis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's true. That is very true. Yep. But to, to close out this month in video game history, in April of 1995, Super Bomberman 3 was released by Hudson Soft for the Super Nintendo. It was the first game in the Super Bomberman series to not get an American release. Final game in the series released outside of Japan. Did you ever play any of the Super Bomberman series? I never played any of them. I see them a lot in the retro stores, so I'm thinking about maybe picking up a copy of one. I've thought about it. The only Bomberman game that I've played is uh, for the Game Boy called Wario Blast, which is basically like it plays in the style of the Bomberman games, but you can either pick Wario's side or Bomberman, and they're basically like feuding with each other. So that 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 game, I remember it being not bad. I don't have too many memories of playing it, other than I remember enjoying it. Yeah, but yeah, this is a a series that you know has been around for a while, but never really got into. So yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I'd love to get, you know, Super Bomberman at some point. Yeah, I might pick up a copy of it. That might be something I might want to do a, a review of in the next couple of months. So um I got to get my schedule, my my review schedule uh going cuz I I've got definitely got some stuff people want me to do in the next couple of months. So uh as soon as I get back from New Jersey, Everything will be even again for me, so I can kind of get back on a, a regular schedule. At least I hope yeah. for a while. Yeah. No, I, I need to do the same thing. I thought about actually just sitting down and looking at you know things that people want us to review, and then things that I want to review, and figure out. Okay, well, this week I'll do, you know, like I don't know, Killer Instinct, or then the next week I'll do Link's Awakening for the yeah. Game Boy. So. Uh, who who knows? Who who knows what will be coming up over the next couple of months? Uh, we'll see. We're we're approaching the hundredth episode too. And we want to do something really special for that. So we're yeah. still working on it. For sure. But uh, but let's move on, and uh, we got to talk about some books before we go into our review for tonight. So Derek, why don't you tell everybody about how they can go get a free book on us? <sighs> That word is just, it's like music to my ears. Free. Free. For you, the listeners of the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And they have a ton of books to choose from, from so many different genres. I think, you know, we mentioned what at the top of the show, they have over 180,000. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of books. If you like mysteries they've got those they've got romance uh sci-fi fiction non-fiction they have gaming books you know from world of warcraft gears of war halo mass effect really thing you, you can think of autumn has so it, it has something for everyone and i think that's what's so great about it and if you're always on the go like i am it's a great service to have where you can read a book in your car or on an airplane on a road trip without having to actually carry and open a physical book. Excuse me. So to do that, 
Just go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook download and 30-day free trial. Guess what we're talking about this week? about that me- music makes me want to salsa dance <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i should be sipping on a margarita yeah. during the show i'm not gonna lie i wasn't sure what song you would pick but i wasn't expecting that one but i like it quite a bit <laughs> i liked it the best that was my favorite song that i listened to so I was like oh, i gotta use that well that that's such the great thing about the sonic franchise is that the music is just so good for all even the 3d games that aren't as great as the classic ones the music is so consistent over the series, which is great. But this week, I'm going to be reviewing Sonic the Hedgehog 3. It is a platform game developed and published by Sega. The fourth main game in the Sonic the Hedgehog series, it was released for the Sega Genesis worldwide in February of 1994. It follows the events of Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Dr. Robotnik's spaceship, the Death Egg, which, yes, is a knockoff of the Death Star, Hmm. Crash lands on a mysterious floating island. There, Sonic and Tails must once more retrieve the Chaos Emeralds to stop the Death Egg from relaunching. While making rounds with the island's guardian and one of the most popular characters in the entire franchise, Knuckles the Echidna. Now, when this game first came out and I read like the descriptions similar to that, I thought to myself, what in the world is an Echidna? Which, for those who don't know, is a type of anteater that lives in Australia. I did not know that. So, you know, the the Sonic franchise kind of speaks for itself, especially the classic games. I mean, it's it's what you would expect. The gameplay is very similar to 1 and 2. It's a 2D side-scrolling platformer where you run through the levels as fast as you can. And the cool thing about the, the 2D series is that each game evolves but it evolves in a positive way. Now, I will preface that by saying that 2 is still my favorite of these three games, but 3 is pretty close to it. You know, it, it does introduce Knuckles, who is, like I said, one of the most popular characters. A lot of people like Knuckles more than they like Sonic. Um, and, and I'll get to Knuckles in a little bit, but as far as the gameplay goes, you know, it's similar, and they've added new power-ups to... Sonic 3. So say in in 2 you could get this um throughout the the levels you could get the shield where it would basically protect you from getting hit like you wouldn't lose all your rings when you get hit. They add different types of shields in this game which there's one called I think the Aqua Shield which is basically like a giant bubble where you can go underwater and you won't like you know lose your breath or anything and you can bounce uh on the ground which is kind of cool. They have uh, the flame shield, which is it protects you from fire. And if you hit like a double jump button, you shoot forward like a giant fireball. And it's almost like a homing attack in a way. Uh, but th- it's it's a really, really fun game. You know, uh, the cool thing about these classic Sonic games is every zone or level has a lot of good variety. So say the first level is called the Angel Island Zone, which is a little bit of like a tropical type setting. And then you go to the hydro city zone, which is mostly underwater. It's, and it kind of makes you think of Atlantis. 
And then you go from what's called the marble zone, which is like ancient ruins to a casino and so on and so forth. So it kind of ha- why I like the old Mario games. I, I would throw the Sonic, uh, I would throw it into Sonic as well. The variety really makes this game replayable because you're not just doing, you know, tropical world after tropical world. Like the, the scenery changes, the music changes and fits the scenery. It's just a really fun game. And I will say, I actually, excuse me, haven't played this game in, in quite some time. Um, but I, I would love to go back and, and look at it. But I, I've been I've been on kind of a Sonic kick the last uh, month or so. You know, Sonic Mania came out, um, played it uh, when I first downloaded it. It reminded me why I love this franchise so much. Uh, went back and played Sonic 2 a little bit, but haven't um, haven't gone back and played 3 yet. But because um, you, you don't really have too much memory of Sonic, do you? No, not really. I mean, I played Sonic a, f- a couple of times because I actually did have one friend in high school that had uh, Sega Genesis, but I, you know, I never really got to put too much time into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope this is should... one of the games that comes out on the on the the mini Mega Drive because if they put, you know, I would think with the mini Mega Drive, you're going to get Sonic One, Two, and Three. At least that's. That's what I would yeah. expect on it, you know, all the Sonic games that were available for the Genesis. Yeah, for sure. Uh, to talk about a little bit of the development, um, after the completion of Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Sega Technical Institute was divided into, into two halves, one comprising Japanese developers and the other American developers. The American side worked on Sonic Spinball, which is actually more fun than you might think it is. It's basically pinball with a Sonic theme to it. While the Japanese side developed Sonic the Hedgehog 3, Yuji Naka and Hirokazu Yashuhara were the primary creators of Sonic 3 design document and project schedule. I actually didn't know that both those games were being worked on at the same time. I might do a Sonic spinball review one day. I mean, it's not it's not a very in-depth game because like I said, it's basically pinball, but it's got it's got a cool theme to it. Well, you were uh, <clears throat> actually now that I read about this, this is actually the game that you've talked about this before about how this and was uh, Sonic and Knuckles. The cartridge had a lock on adapter. Yeah, so that uh, thank you for bringing that up. That was something I was going to get into. This was kind of a, an unheard of concept back then. You know, this is what ninety four. Uh, let me see when Sonic and Knuckles came out. That came out in the same year in 94. So Sonic and Knuckles is just this basic black cartridge. It has no fancy label on it. It just says Sonic and Knuckles in red and blue text. But the top, basically, for those who are watching the video version, opens up and you put another cartridge inside of it. You put Sonic 3 in it, and it creates an entirely new game called Sonic 3 and Knuckles, where it combines the two games together into one seamless story, and it gives you the option to play through the Sonic 3 portion of the game as Knuckles, who's you know not as fast as Sonic, but can use... Because he... What, what he looks like, and I'm sure people can just Google him, but he's basically like a, a red-colored character with two spikes on each on each arm. So this actually and worked? You can, yes. Wow. Yeah. It, okay. it 
combine the games together to make you know this this really really long game. So I'm wondering why they didn't like this didn't start a whole new way of doing things at the time. Well, and this is something that I'll get into when I review uh, Banjo Tooie, which was the sequel to Banjo Kazooie. They had a similar concept in mind, but Nintendo. And I don't know why they didn't figure it out or why they didn't do it because the Nintendo 64 came out several years later. But I'll get into that when I review that game. But, um, you know, the addition of Knuckles made the gameplay completely different. And even, you know, going back and playing through Sonic Mania, because you can play as Knuckles as well, you run through the same worlds, the same zones but you have to do things in a different way because Knuckles has such different abilities. He's not nearly as fast, but he can glide and can climb up walls using the the two knuckles he has, you know, in his fists. Um, all in all, this is, it's not a very complicated game to play, but it's just so fun. It's, hmm. I'll, I'll say about classic Sonic is it's just high octane, not mindless, but just anybody can pick up a cartridge and play these games. It sounds fun. Like I can't wait for the the Mega Drive Mini to come out because I want to be able to play all these old Sonic games and like be able to play them without having to you know use an emulator or whatever. Like I actually want to use a, a Sega Genesis controller um, on a, a really good little system. You know that's going to play it well. Yeah. Now, this is a story that people talk about a lot when they think of Sonic 3. You've heard of a a little-known pop singer named Michael Jackson, correct? Yeah. This is so (laughs) So, weird. This is a very weird story. Uh, In 2005, uh, Hector slated that Sega hired American pop musician Michael Jackson, who was a known Sonic the Hedgehog fan, to compose music for Sonic 3, but following the allegations of sexual abuse against Jackson, his involvement was terminated and the music reworked. The website of musician Sirocco Jones, who contributed music to Sonic 3 and is credited as Sirocco, credits himself along with Jackson and Jackson's tour keyboardist and songwriting collaborator Brad Buxer for musical cues for levels 2 and 3 of Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, Naoto Oshima... Sonic's original character artist said Jackson recorded an acapella demo tape for the game, including Jackson's trademark Wow. He also stated that Sega was not able to use the compositions due to various incidents which took place, claiming that Sega was probably still in possession of the demo tape. That's hmm. such a it's such a weird and random story. Like, well, you know, I, mean, I, I he does. Michael Jackson did have, you know, connections to Sega because they did that Moonwalker video game. Um, yeah. I don't know what year that came out. That was like late eighties that came out. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if he did compose music for the game, you know, I, I, I do think that's pretty cool. I mean, the guys, you know, if you think top five, musical acts or performers of all time he's got to be on that list you oh, know yeah. he transcended his his profession <clears throat> but uh, you know the re- read a little bit more about this story uh it says that, uh, a source specified that the musical theme for carnival carnival night zone was one of the pieces to which jackson contributed 
journalist Ken Horovitz raised questions about Jackson's alleged involvement, such as how any agreement between Sega and Jackson to score Sonic 3 could have been kept secret from the media, why Sega's marketing never mentioned Jackson's involvement, and whether it was plausible that an artist as creative as Jackson would reuse music originally composed for a video game. Uh, while many of the Sonic 3's composers were longtime collaborators with Jackson, including Buxer, Bobby Brooks, and Jeff Grace, this does not prove that Jackson himself wrote the themes from the game said to resemble his work. The composers may have been influenced by or sought to emulate Jackson's style. See, I never even, like, I've heard a lot of Sonic's music, and none of it ever struck me as, like, Michael Jackson-esque. No, me either. I mean, no, because I'm even playing the Carnival Night Zone song in my head, and it doesn't sound like anything that Michael Jackson would come up with. So, you know, I, I remember I remember hearing about this story, you know, several years ago, but never really thought that much of it. But, you know, whether he did or not, I mean, if he did, I think that's that's pretty cool because of, you know, his status and the fact that he would do something like that for a video game. And you would think that with Michael Jackson's involvement in making music for an actual video game, that would have been a lot of legal red tape to go through. Because, I mean, oh. you're talking about arguably the biggest, you know, pop mu or just music guy, you know, of all time. Like, that would have been and so expensive unless he was just doing it under the table. Yeah. And especially because this came out in 94, especially around then when he was like top three celebrity yeah. in the world. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about this is around the time that like, uh, um, what was the name of that album that came out with um, Black or White on it? Um, what, uh, what? I'll look it up real quick because it right I'm blanking time. on it. Uh, but anyway... Kind of going back to, you know, the, the gameplay of this, you know, it's if anybody has not played a Sonic game, I highly recommend that you do it. And you know, the the first game is good, but to me, it it served as a great like it set the foundation for what two and three became, because I've gone back and I've played one and it's the only one that I haven't beaten. But it's still a fun game, but like I said, the to me the sequels are just so much better. The the graphics are a little better, even though they're for the same system. Uh, the gameplay, the the power ups, the additions, the characters, because you know there, there's so much more to Sonic than just the games. You know, there's the cartoon series, there's the comic books. Yeah. You know, the Son Sonic is. I know he's not as big now as he was back in the nineties, but you know, during that time, him and Mario were, you know, if Mario was up here, Sonic was oh, yeah. <laughs> not too far off. But as far as if I were to give this a number review, um, I would give it a solid eight, eight and a half. Yeah, I would expect like, right like around him, there. Compared to, like, I, I think I gave Sonic 2 a 9. I would give this an 8, 8.5. Still, from a zone and gameplay standpoint, I prefer 2. 
but three is is right up there. And you know the the reception of it was really well. Uh, it sold 1.02 million copies in the U.S. Um, as far as reviews, Electronic Gaming Monthly gave it a 38 out of 40. IGN gave it a 9 out of 10. Nintendo Life, 8 out of 10. Um, Metacritic, 79 out of 100. Game Rankings uh, gave the Genesis version an 89. So all in all, you know, this game was very well received, and, and I, I really enjoy it. Well, like I said, I'm really excited for the the Mega Drive Mini to be coming out later this year. I'm definitely going to get one because there's a lot of stuff on the Genesis that I just missed as a kid. You mm-hmm. know, I never got to play, especially the Sonic games. I played Sonic 1. I've never played any of the other ones. Um, and there's just a lot of, you know, Sega Genesis stuff that I just want to play and just never had a chance to. And, you know, I do a lot of collecting for the Nintendo, the Super Nintendo, you know, just the Nintendo down the line from the the NES up to the the GameCube. So I really don't want to get a different system to start collecting for. So I would rather just get something like the uh, the Mega Drive Mini and just have everything on it that I really need to play from the Genesis library. No, and I think that's a good... That's a good strategy to have, but yeah, that's um, that's my review of Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Well, fantastic. If I had a copy of it, I would play it, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, so I got to wait for Sega to come out with the Mega Drive Mini, so hopefully it's not too uh, not too far away. Hopefully they'll release it. I'm, I'm hoping that they come out with it somewhere maybe mid to late summer, early fall. That's what I would be looking for, because you know they're going to, they want to hit that Christmas market. And I really hope they don't take a page out of Nintendo and they actually make enough of them to to make people happy. Yeah, they won't make, let's say, eight to yeah. spread around the entire <laughs> United States. Uh, but on that note, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here this evening? Um, no, just always, you know, check out the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. Um, this past week, I actually did... Um, a cool episode doing a summer movie preview uh, with two guys who do a show based out of New Orleans called The Weekend Geek, who I met uh, a few years ago. Uh, you know, just talking about Infinity War, Solo, uh, Deadpool 2, other, you know, fun movies that are coming out this summer. So uh, definitely check that out, uh, as well as several other episodes I've done. You can find those on iTunes, Spotify, all podcasting platforms, and you can follow the show on social media. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. And my other stuff is just go listen to the Pop Culture Palette at PCP Show, uh, PCPRadio.com. You can listen to it. You can find it on iTunes. Anywhere you can get podcasts, you can listen to it. Just look up Pop Culture Palette. We've had we got a good backlog of episodes. Uh, the last episode we did, we had Mr. Jeremy Branch from Movies Are Terrible uh, on YouTube. He was also. He I think did, I've uh, heard of him. Yeah, he was on uh, the survey <laughs> movie with us. He, he's a good guy. So go over there and listen to that episode. Lots of cool episodes. Almost two hundred episodes to go back and listen to. So go 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 give us a listen over there. And uh, I think that's going to do it for this week. I am when you're listening to this. I am on a plane coming back from New Jersey from the Hang On to Your Shorts Film Festival, and hopefully I'll be coming back with lots of trophies from uh, all the, the stuff we're nominated for. But I'll keep everybody posted online if you want to follow me over on the Twitter 
at jfunktastic. You can maybe even watch me right here on Twitch uh, do some stuff while I'm up there for that. So keep an eye out, please. Absolutely. So I think that's just about it. Let me look up our end of the show stuff here so I don't screw it up. And I will start our music. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro@gmail.com. We will talk about your email on the show. Uh, we're at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro, at jfunktastic, at Derek underscore diamond. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. So Derek, tell them what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. Listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.